Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Romans, chapter number 8. I just completed a uh, series of five messages entitled The Subject of Pain. And uh, the first message was an introductory message, and then I started putting some pieces of the puzzle together, and uh, I know there are a lot of things that... uh, We could mention a lot of other pieces that we could add, but for this puzzle, I used only four pieces to to make up the entire picture. We talked about pain and growth to begin with, because every every Christian uh, must be subjected to pain of of some sort in order to grow spiritually. We talked about pain and obedience. Since none of us are perfect, there are times that we all must be corrected, amen? And so God is at work in our lives producing obedience. And then we talked about pain and opportunity. You know, God has a way of arranging circumstances so as to put us in a place to where He can use us. I think of Joseph, you know, and God placing him exactly where he would be needed But then we talked about pain and direction, how that in our pain and our suffering, in the first place, it directs us to God Himself, because a lot of folks never turn to God were it not for some difficulty in their life. But then having experienced God, the pain is a means whereby of directing us to others that are in need of God. So... You know, what do you make of that? Well, I mean, what is the answer? What is the solution? Is is there anything about that that uh, would help you to arrive at a conclusion as to what the answer is to the puzzle of pain? Well, if you look at each one of those messages, the first one started with pain and what? Growth. Gee. The second one was pain and obedience, that's an O. The next one was pain and uh, an opportunity, another O. And the third one was direction, and you put those together and it spells G-O-O-D. The opposite of what we generally think of. We generally think of our painful situations as producing grief rather than good. But the Bible has a way of turning our thoughts upside down because we look at it in a negative light and, you know, these are things that happen to us that we would never choose for ourselves. And consequently, when those things happen and us being so limited in our understanding, we jump to conclusions and arrive at uh, at things that are contrary to what God's intent was. So we need to look at the product of pain. You put all of those pieces together, and ultimately, regardless of all of the details, ultimately it spells good. And that's what the Bible tells us. Romans 8.28, notice all things work together for what? Good. There it is. Look, this is God's promise. This isn't my idea. He tells us that all things work together for good. 
Now, I want you to notice, and we need to look at the context of that verse. So sometimes we read that and we, we miss the big picture. So let's go back to verse 16 and begin reading, and, and that way we get the whole picture of what's going on here. And the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Isn't that great? I'm so glad that God makes it known. Somebody says, well, I'm, you know, uh, how do you know you're saved? Well, I, one reason I know that I'm saved because the Spirit of God bears witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. I, I, look, and if God does that for me, it does it for everybody. I mean, God makes it clear that there shouldn't be any mistake about whether or not that uh, we're a child of God or not. Now, if you think being a child of God in some way is going to exempt you from any problems and trials and difficulties in life, you're mistaken. So read on. Verse 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body, for we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it? Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh witness maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he searcheth the hearts, uh, he, he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And then comes our text verse, For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. This is probably one of the most quoted verses and least accepted verses in all of the Bible. I say that because just about every Christian is familiar with it, but it's so very seldom that we act like we really believe it. If we really, truly, honestly believed what verse 28 says, we wouldn't hit the panic button whenever problems come our way. We wouldn't complain whenever it seemed like everything was going wrong. We would know that regardless of how the circumstances may appear to us, that God is working something for us, not against us. 
And folks, this is God's answer for the puzzle of pain. Regardless of, of, of how you're hurting, what you're going through, what difficulty that you have encountered, this is God's answer for you. There are going to be a lot of things happen in life that, that, you know, from the human standpoint, things that are unfair, things that are extremely painful, things that we would love to avoid, and yet God causes or allows those things to happen. So we need to consider God's answer for our painful situations. Notice the certainty of it. Notice how it begins here. It says, and we know. You see, this wasn't a matter of speculation with the Apostle Paul. There are a lot of times, you know, we have our opinions in regards to different issues. But Paul says, we know. And so it's a fact. And he's not speculating. But this is under the direction of the Spirit of God who is leading him to write these things. But also, it is out of the depths of Paul's own experiences. I mean, you look at his life and you think of the difficulties he went through and the things that he had to endure, and some of those things made absolutely no sense from the standpoint of human reasoning, but now he can look back on all of those things and he can say of a truth, we know that everything's working together for good. Don't have to worry about it. God's working it together for good. So this is something that we must acknowledge by faith because you certainly can't understand it. You can't reason it out. And you can't always get the answer from somebody else that explains to your satisfaction why you're suffering for. You see, it's something you have to acknowledge by faith and it's something that you ought to apply to yourself. It's not just a matter of Paul and his situation, but each and every one of us need to apply that to ourselves regardless of what you're going through. You can know, you should know, that God in some way is going to use that for some good somehow. And we ought to accept that with joy. There's so many verses where Paul explains his feelings about these uh, hard trials in his life. And he said in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 4, I'm filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulations. Chapter 12 and verse 10 of that same letter, he said, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. And, and Peter basically says exactly the same thing. And then you go to the little letter of James and he says, count it all joy when you fall into diapers. All of this, all of the various temptations, that is the trials and the difficulties of life. He said, count it joy. But how often it is that we fail to be able to rejoice in what God's doing in our life because we absolutely do not understand it. We, we want an explanation and God's not talking and here we are left in the dark. And rather than to rejoice knowing that God is in control, uh, we begin to murmur and complain. We know. This is something he's being emphatic about. He's not saying, I heard from somebody else, or I read in a book, or I surmised, but he says, we know. Now, notice the coverage, the coverage of all of the painful things. He says, we know 
all things. That is, nothing is excluded. This includes the good and the bad and the ugly. It's, uh, it includes our faults, our failures, our fears, and everything in life. Nothing is excluded. There's no exceptions made for anything whatsoever. And you can make up your own list and you can jot down every kind of problem and every pain that you can imagine. And God says, I've got that covered. I've got that covered. All things, not some things, but all things. That's the coverage of it. And then notice the creativeness of this. All things what? Work. All things, in other words, are actively involved in our life. Everything is at work. He's simply saying there's nothing in our life that is without significance. You know, sometimes we talk about the little things and the big things and so forth, and the truth of the matter is everything in our life is significant in some way because everything has an effect of some sort. And many of those things that you and I would love to avoid in our lives, God says, you know, that's all a part of my plan. And we need to realize that God, who either causes or allows everything that happens to us, is working these things. And notice the cohesiveness of these things, of everything. And he says, all things work what? Together. So we know that everything that happens isn't good, right? You know, it might be this morning that some of you have been diagnosed with a disease. That's not good. It might be somebody going through marital problems. That's not good. It might be somebody here this morning that's bankrupt. They don't know how they're going to buy their next meal. That's not good. There are a lot of bad things, but everything, the good and the bad, and all of those things are working together. In other words, whenever you mix them together, it's like the ingredients of a cake. Uh, I haven't eaten any raw eggs since I was a boy trying to build up muscles, you know. I, Yeah, well, that's another story. So you sure failed there, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, well, you, you know, it's, it's amazing what kids will do whenever they're reading advertisement about Charles Atlas. Some of you remember those pictures of Charles Atlas down on the beach saying, don't let the bullies kick sand in your face. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna drink me some milk and eggs and a little vanilla and sugar. But but I, I, I don't know. I, as much as I love eggs anymore, I, I wouldn't want a raw egg, would you? And uh, you think of the, if, uh, the other ingredients, flour. Who, I, I just can't imagine anybody enjoying a spoonful of flour. You take all of those various ingredients, I mean separately, and it'd be horrible, but when you put them together, not only put them together, but you apply a certain amount of heat to all of them. And you see all of these things interacting and working together, all of a sudden, out, out, out of the diversity of all of the different things, suddenly working in harmony one with another, there is something that is unified. The, the bottom line, the end result is what? It's good. It's good, and that's what God's trying to get us to see. All things. We know. We're not guessing at it. We know that all things work together for good 
That's the consequences of it. They work together for good. Um, It just staggers my mind whenever I stop and think about the goodness of God. I mean, who else could take all of these bad, painful things and make something good out of them? Separately, uh, these things would never accomplish anything really good, just independent of everything else. I mean, if your whole life consisted of a migraine headache, uh, there wouldn't be anything good come out of that. But God can take the physical ailment and He can put it together with other events and other things in your life. And out of all of the stuff in your life, God can make something good out of it. We talked about Joseph last week, and here's Joseph. I mean, my young man that is hated and despised by his very own family, his brothers, and they sell him into slavery. Everything is going wrong in his life. He gets sent off to a foreign country. He gets falsely accused. He is in prison. He is forgotten. Everything is going against him until suddenly... When you put all of those events together, suddenly it all works out for good. But look, here's the condition. And you don't miss this because a lot of times we misapply verses of Scripture to our life. People try to claim promises that, that really don't belong to them. I've heard people say, well, you know, I'm not worried about anything because after all, the Bible says, you know, that God will supply all of our need according to His riches in glory. Well, the Bible does say that. But not just anybody, not just everybody can apply that. That's not a promise to everyone. That's a promise to certain people, you see. Somebody says, well, God will never put more on you than you're able to bear. Are you kidding yourself? He'll break you down and put you down and He'll make you so miserable you don't know which end is up. I mean, God can do that. God does do that. So there are a lot of promises in the Bible that people try to claim when they have no right to do so. So there's a condition attached to this promise. If you're here today and you've never been saved, all things are not working together for your good. Let me tell you that right now. And it might be the worst thing that is happening to you is the thing that you think is the best thing. Because you've got a little jingle in your pocket and you're in good health and you can get out here and pursue all of the activities that you enjoy and you can do your thing, eat, drink, and be merry and you're not worried about anything. You can really enjoy life. Everything's going good for you. And probably the best thing that could happen is for you to lose some or all of those things that you enjoy so much And to find yourself flat on your back, not able to do anything but to look up and to finally, at long last, see your need of God. All things work together for good. Now notice what he says. To those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. To those who love God. Do you love God? Well, you say, yeah, well, I think I do. Doesn't everybody love God? No. Everybody doesn't love God. There are people that hate God. People that ignore God. 
to those who love the Lord. Well, how do you know whether or not somebody really loves the Lord or not? How do you know whether or not they have the right to claim this promise? Well, Jesus answered that for us. John chapter number 14, verse 23, and along through those verses there, He says, if we love Him, we'll do what? We'll keep His commandments. That's the real evidence of whether or not that I love the Lord. If I love God, then I'm going to seek to please God. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to trust God. And if I'm not willing to trust God, to please God, to obey God, there's no evidence I love God, and there's no reason for me to think that all things are working together for my good. This promise is for those who love God. Notice, to them are the called according to His purpose. I'm glad God has a purpose for each and every one of us, aren't you? We're the called according to His purpose. That word called, by the way, is used in several instances to where it's speaking about the believers, those that come to God, that are received by God, and they're referred to as those who are called. Called according to His purpose. Well, what is God's purpose? What is God trying to do? What is it that God wants from each and every one of us? Look at verse 29. For whom He did foreknow, He did predestinate. Here it is. He predetermined, not whether you're going to heaven or hell, that's not it. He predetermined, notice, predestinated us to be conformed to the image of His Son. You see, that's God's desire for each and every one of us. And if that is the desire of your heart, to be like Christ, then you can claim this promise. You can know beyond any shadow of a doubt that regardless of what happens in your life, that God is going to use that in some way for some good thing in your life. I jotted down in the little Bible that I use for funerals and weddings and, and so forth and carry with me for so many years, says you can know beyond all doubting in this trial you're passing through that a loving God sustains you and some good He's planned for you. Isn't it wonderful to get up every morning and to live your life knowing that whatever happens today is something that God either caused or something that God allowed, and He allowed it to come into my life for some good reason. He's planned it for some good reason. Now, I've heard people say, well, all things work together for good, and they, they, and their idea of good is that, and I've heard even preachers quote that all things work together you know, for my good, our good. No, all things work together for what? For good. That's all it says. You, you see, we get the idea that if it's not working for our good, then it's not something that's worthy of our attention, not something, you know, that we ought to be overly interested in if we're not going to benefit from it. Let me tell you, if our chief goal in life is to glorify God, if that's our main motive, if our main motive is to glorify God and to do good to others instead of gratifying self, we won't care what the nature of the good is. 
We won't care whether the good is something that we derive from it or something that others receive as a result of it. The good he's talking about is not necessarily something that is going to benefit you personally and especially in this life. I'm not saying you won't benefit from it. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that the good that God has planned is to make you more like Christ so that you in some way can minister to the needs of others and bring glory to God in the process. And we look, we won't care whether the reward comes to us personally or whether it comes to another. We won't care whether the reward comes right now or whether the reward is going to come someday. And let me tell you, there will be absolutely no wasting of our sorrow. There will be no wasting of our experiences and the things that we go through when it is all said and done and we come down to the end of the road and we stand before Christ and we are rewarded on the basis of our faithfulness. And in that day, we'll be able to look back on our life and say all of those zigs and zags, the hills and the valleys, and all of those things that made absolutely no sense to me back then make perfectly good sense now. Now I see that God makes no mistakes that He is perfect in all of His ways. And how that God through all of these experiences brought me to the place that I now stand before my dear Savior and have the privilege of hearing Him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. When fear and worry test your faith and anxious thoughts assail, remember, God is in control. He will never fail. And I hope you leave here today with an understanding of that, that God is not going to fail you. And regardless of whatever experience that you've recently gone through, or it might be something that happened years ago, even back when you were a child, I don't know about that. It might be something you're wrestling with right now, some difficulty that you're, you're trying to fight off in your life. And I want you to leave here knowing today that regardless of how painful it is, if you love God and you are then in the pursuit of doing God's will for your life, you mark it down, that bad thing you're going through will be used of God in some good way to accomplish His purpose in your life. Why would anybody refuse a God that's able and willing to do something like that? To them who love God, do you love Him this morning? Is there any evidence of it? Have you ever received Him as your Lord and Savior? Do you know that you'd go to heaven if you died today? To them that love God who are the called according to His purpose and in the divine scheme of things all down through eternity. Think about it that God set His sights on you and God has a plan for each and every one of us. And that's why it's so important that we know Him as our, the old timers used to say, as our personal Savior.
He's not just the Savior of the world. He is your personal Savior. Will you receive Him this morning? Trust Him to the saving of your soul. Follow Him to the best of your ability. Depend upon Him for every single thing that comes against you in life. And mark it down, whatever it is, regardless of how painful it is, when it's all said and done, it'll spell G-O-O-D. It'll all be good. Let's stand. Father, how we thank you, Lord, that you're not only involved in our lives, but in everything that you do. It's with a concern for each and every one of us. And Lord, even when we're not concerned about ourselves, even when we're not concerned about what is best for others, we're so thankful that there's never a time that you're unconcerned about us. And we're so grateful to know that and to know that not only are you concerned about us, but that you have all power in heaven and earth and you're able to take the most painful, tragic, horrible things imaginable and to use them for some good in our life. We thank you for that. Help us, Lord, to love you more and to serve you better. We pray this morning for that person that's here that doesn't have the assurance of heaven in their heart. That person that's never received Christ as their Savior. That person that has no idea what it means for the Spirit of God to bear witness that they are the children of God. I pray you'll speak to their heart here this morning. And Lord, that they'll respond to your invitation, that they'll come to you and trust your saving grace, that they might be born again. For we beg it in Jesus' name. Amen. While we stand and as we sing this morning, would you come? Think about what you're saying. my blessed Savior and really mean it from the depth of your heart? You don't, I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I'm asking you to be honest with yourself. Because anybody can sing the song, right? That's Some of us can't stay on key, you know. Any of us can sing the words, All to Thee, my blessed Savior. You see, there's a lot of people that know about God who do not know God. That They know about Jesus, but they don't really know Jesus in a personal way. And this morning, if you can't really honestly sing those words, why don't you come and you say, well, preacher, there's some things I don't understand. Would you come and let us take the Bible and to show you from God's Word how you can know beyond any shout of a doubt that you can know that you're a child of God. You can know you'd go to heaven if you died. 
I'll tell you what, let's all bow our heads and Christians, I want you to be praying and for the musicians just to play softly, no one singing. And if God's speaking to your heart just now, would you come? I'm going to walk down here and I'm going to meet you right there. Would you come? 